I'm now going to introduce you to the first two of the 17 prophets in the Old Testament. We've already talked about Elijah and Elisha, but they didn't get their own books, unless you count 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 13 as the books of Elijah and Elisha. The prophets are the fourth clump of the Old Testament, joining the law, the history books, and the poetry or writings. From our last episode, you learn that prophets sometimes predict and sometimes just proclaim the word of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the 17 prophets are clumped into two categories, the major prophets and minor prophets. Major and minor does not indicate importance. It indicates length or size. The major prophets are the big scrolls. The minor prophets, the little scrolls. Today, we're looking at two of the minor prophets, both sent to the northern kingdom, Israel. Both sent after Elijah and Elisha. To help my students remember I like to think of the prophets as God's sticky notes. You know sticky notes. Important messages, reminders, things you don't want to forget. With each of these 17 prophets, I'm going to give you God's sticky note message to either the nation Israel, the nation of Judah, or outside nations in the case of three of these sticky note prophets. Just a word about interpreting this genre. Prophets are generally sent by God as a wake-up call or warning. We want to take the principles in these wake-up calls or warnings seriously. The language of these wake-up calls and warnings, however, sometimes can be a bit exaggerated. In other words, to get God's children's attention, sometimes the statements are a bit weighted. For example, a family traveling in a minivan where the kids have been out of control. You might hear a parent say, Don't make me put you out at the side of the road or turn this car around. It's sending a message, I need this to stop. That parent very likely would never put you out at the side of the road or cancel the trip. Look for the underlying thing being communicated, but perhaps turn the intensity dial down just a bit and remember the context of God's love and care for us, like those parents in the front seat. Let's look at this playground attendant sent to the north. Amos and the sticky note message he's bringing from God. I told you earlier the Bible's written by 40 people from all walks of life. Amos is one of the most blue collar of them all. He was a shepherd and a vine pruner from Judah. This sheep herder is sent to Bethel, the center of the northern kingdom's Baal worship. That's where Jeroboam's main calf was placed. At the time of Amos' visit, Jeroboam II was ruling and used that as his main base of operations. The nation of Israel, at the time of Amos' writings, was strong and prosperous on the outside, but really decaying and wretched underneath. It was corrupt and idolatrous, and it was all veneered over in religiosity. Yuck! Amos starts out by pronouncing judgments on all the nations that circle the nation of Israel, He works his way around from Sidon to Philistia to Edom to Moab to Ammon, then to the southern kingdom of Judah. And by the way, in Judah, he condemns them for rejecting the law of God and following lies. Then Amos gets to Israel. He says, you oppress the poor. He tells them you're heartless. You take the cloaks of poor people and won't return them at night. Just let them freeze. You're ruthless. You foreclose on poor people's property. You're deviant. Fathers and sons will go into the same prostitute. 
And at the end of the week, you go to church services. And God says, I hate your church services. Your priests and prophets who are supposed to warn you tell me to shut up. And worst of all, says the Lord, over all this, you're arrogant. You have swagger, and I hate it, says the Lord. Amos, the playground attendant, then pronounces God's judgment. 90% of your nation will be destroyed. Then to illustrate just how warped and crooked they are, Amos pulls out a plumb line. I explain to my students what a plumb line is. Today I have a six-foot level. The bubble tells me if something is straight up and down. But in Amos' day, they used a plumb line. It was a string with a plumb bob tied at the bottom. As you built the building, you'd hang the plumb bob off the top course of block, say 12 inches out. Then, the plumb bob at the bottom, it better be exactly 12 inches out or your building is crooked. The plumb bob is God's law. Amos holds it up to Israel's behavior and they're completely out of line. God's sticky note through the prophet Amos, straighten up or else. Amos, the shepherd vine dresser from Judah, ends his sticky note prophecy to the north with a glimmer of hope. There will be a time when Israel as a nation is rebuilt, plumb to God's laws, true to the God of Israel, and they will remain in the land and be taken away no more. But as we'll see, that wouldn't be in their near future. What would happen in their near future, they would continue to become more crooked. Which leads us to our second sticky note minor prophet to the northern nation of Israel, their last warning, the prophet Hosea. Hosea was God's last playground attendant, the kings and people of the north. They wouldn't listen to the words of Elijah, Elisha, or Amos. So God sent Hosea to be a living illustration of God's last attempt to demonstrate to them his love for them and his need for them to come back to worshiping the true God. Hosea's message is often addressed to Ephraim. Ephraim was the largest tribe of the north and represents the whole nation. The theme of Hosea is God's steadfast love despite their infidelity to God. The sticky note is... I want you back, hugs and kisses. It's a shocking story, almost scandalous. Hosea, a local pastor, is told by God to go marry a harlot and have children with her. Scholars argue whether he married her as a harlot or she became one after the wedding. I'm not really sure it matters much. To represent reality, my sense is, God told Hosea to marry a woman who was already a prostitute. They have three children together. At least, you think they belong to Hosea. The meaning of the first child's name, God sows or scatters. The meaning of the second child's name, no mercy. The meaning of the third child's name, not my people. Can you imagine yelling out the back door to those three kids to come to dinner? God will scatter. No mercy. Not my people. It's lunch. We're told Hosea's wife leaves him and starts sleeping around with men in town. She's passed around from man to man. Meanwhile, apparently provisions show up on her doorstep so she's not completely desolate. Finally used up, diseased, and unwanted, God tells Hosea to buy her back on an auction block as a slave. There in front of all of his parishioners, he buys back his diseased, used-up 
trampy ex-wife. He places her in seclusion for a time of purification, then seeks to woo her again. Who of us would ever take someone like that back in, much less love her again? When you read Luke 15 in the New Testament, Jesus tells a story about a prodigal, used up, diseased, broke one who's broken his father's heart, returning home, and the response of that father to that prodigal son. That's the story of Hosea all over again, the lavish love of a God toward an unfaithful people. Read Hosea chapter 11. Hosea is God's last attempt to get the northern kingdom's attention, to communicate the depths of Israel's unfaithfulness to his God, to show a God of steadfast love wringing his hands at their situation, continuing to supply their needs, and being ready to buy them back at any price if their hearts will turn home. Do you remember our edge piece themes of scripture? Made. God made us and takes delight in us. Strayed. We wandered away from God. Lost. We got hopelessly lost. Cost. God bought us back at a great price. The story of Hosea lives out those edge pieces vividly for us. Why would God feel that way about us? Hosea's message ends with God saying, O Israel, how can I give you up? How can I let you go? But if you've listened to Kings of the Hill North, you know Hosea's sticky note of, I want you back, hugs and kisses, doesn't make a difference. Israel refuses to listen and is destroyed by the Assyrians and their people taken into captivity. The ten northern tribes of Jacob are gone. There's only Judah and Benjamin left. And we'll look at that southern kingdom, the southern hill, and the kings who clawed their way to the top in our next word picture.